flames are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. and firestormfan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Zip Zaggy Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Zip Zaggy? I ran out of IR words, so I'm going to try out Z words for a little while. Good luck with that. <laughs> you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing fine. We have a very special episode tonight, folks. Uh, we have a special guest. And hopefully by the end of the episode, you'll still think he's special, or maybe short bus special, whichever. Anyway, folks, we have with us none other than Mr. Luke Giaconetti, the much-discussed, much-lauded on this show, and even made an appearance on our end-of-the-year episode. Um, but first off, uh, I, I need to tell you a little about the man. Uh, Mr. Luke Giaconetti is the star of three, count them, three podcasts over on the twotruefreaks.com feed of podcasts. He is on the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror. Yes, that was not a mispronunciation. That is the name of the show. He's on Earth Destruction Directive, and he's a semi-regular with myself over on Who True Freaks. Also, when his fingers get busy, he is blogging over on El Jacones Comic Book Bunker, and the reason he's on the show today he runs a Hawkman blog called Being Carter Hall. And I am also apparently um, legally obligated to say he is a licensed and registered professional, by the way. <laughs> so, big uh, fire and water welcome to Mr. Luke Giaconetti! Yay! Uh, thank you for having me, boys. Thank you. Very, very much an honor to be on the Fire and Water podcast, finally. We're glad to have you, sir. Don't screw it up. Wow. I'm just saying. I don't want. I don't want the. I don't want there to be a stink on the show. You know. Well, you know, I, I'll I'll do my best not to stink it up. If if you guys listen to, to Earth Destruction Directive, you know that when I'm a one man show, things get a little wonky. So maybe it's good to have some co-hosts here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this. What does this make it our? Is this our second guest? Third guest? Oh, geez, I've lost track. Well, uh, well, we had Jurgens. 
Well, that's not really a guess. That's a that's an interview. That's okay. A, All right. Well then, yeah. Well then, basically, this is our second guess because we had. Well, Frank. but you know, I will say. Uh, Diabolu Frank was on for so long the last time he may qualify as two people. He does, yes. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of the, one of the things on my you know numerous podcasts I've done as a guest is that you don't want to make the show entirely about yourself. Again, just putting it out there for what it's worth. You know, Dang. you're the guest. I'm just saying is all. Frank Zoon is burning up with anger right now. Probably. I want to. Yeah, get, I, I want to uh, bind you guys with, by the wrists and have you fight it out with knives now. Dun, 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 20 lose on the talkative one. Well, folks, uh, we brought Luke on the show to talk about something, um, I don't want to say near and dear to our hearts, but a tragedy that each of us have had to face multiple times. Uh, we are going to talk about being a fan and a supporter of a beloved character that has had their series canceled more than once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, with, with the characters that we are enthusiasts for, uh, that is a, a recurring theme. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm reminded of something that uh, Jeff Johns said when uh, him and um, uh, James Robinson and Rags Morales started Volume 4 of Hawkman. Their goal was to make it past 33 issues so that it would be the longest-running Hawkman series ever. That was their <laughs> only stage goal. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, how did funny. it work? Yes, it did. Oh, okay. Volume 4 of Hawkman is the longest running. It ran into the 60s before it switched over to Hawk Girl after Infinite Crisis. But still, even then, a, a very respectable run. The only one that even approaches a normal length run is uh, is the Volume 4, unsurprisingly, the one that Jeff Johns worked on. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us, to start us off, why don't you tell us how you got interested in Hawkman? Uh, sure thing. That That's kind of an odd story because... I became a Hawkman fan as, as uh, I'm putting this in air quotes up to the mic, as a grown-up. Growing up, I, I, read, I read a lot of comics. You know, I was into different things. Uh, I, I've been reading Iron Man for a long time. And he's, he's my you know, favorite character. But uh, it got into the point where as I got into my late 20s, I started learning more about the DC Universe. I was always a Marvel guy growing up. I knew a little bit about the DCU. I'd read Superman for a while. But... Mainly from sites like Rob's Aquaman Shrine, and then um, uh, Frank's uh, Idlehead of Diabolu, and um, you know this uh, uh, Crimson Lightning and Speed Force that Kelson runs, stuff like that. I started getting more, more and more into the DCU and learning about the history. And I'd always visually liked Hawkman. I remember as a kid, my brother had the superpowers toy, and I really wanted it, but it was his guy, so I couldn't have him. <laughs> Until finally I got all the superpowers toys. So yeah, Luke won that one in the long run. But uh <laughs> you sat on your middle aged kingdom and laughed. Ha 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 well, between that and Calabac's arm flying behind the hutch, which is a story that has been read on this show before. Yes it has. Poor Calabac's arm. But anyway, uh it just got to the point where I was like more and more interested in Hawkman and I started reading JSA and Hawkman was in that. And I'm like, man, I'm like, do I really want to start collecting a new character? And it got to the point where I'd go to a comic book show and just walk up to a random long box and flip the first book back, and it would be a Hawkman book. And uh, and and finally, um, my good friend, um, uh, my good friend uh, Adam, uh, he calls me from a con that he's at in Atlanta, and he says, uh, he says, Luke, they've got Showcase Hawkman here for nine bucks. Do you want it? I said, well, God damn it, yes, I do. So that's how I got into being a Hawkman fan. <laughs> so from there, yeah. All, so It's all Adama's fault. 
Valadama's fault, exactly. And uh, so from there, it I just started, you know, I filled in pretty much every Hawkman book I got my hands on and have just been, that's, that's how being Carter Hall got started. The stated purpose was unlike, like the Aquaman shrine, you know, Rob, you're recognized as, as an expert in Aquaman and Aquaman lore. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. What a it's valuable, what a valuable skill in the marketplace that is. Well, hey, you know what? I, I could have said enthusiast instead of expert, you know, so. There's a resume builder for you, Rob. Yeah, neither one of them pay anything, so. Yes. <laughs> Hey, one one of my one of my demonstrable skills is I can identify what movie a, uh, in a specific Godzilla suit was from just by looking at it. You want to talk about a job that's not going to get you paid right there, but <laughs> or laid. Yeah, both of those at the same time actually. But anyway, um, so you know, being Carter Hall was and still is about my journey becoming a Hawk fan and discovering new parts of it. Now I've been running the blog for a number of years now, so I'm pretty much I'm at. I don't know about necessarily at the, the level of, of Rob or, or Ushag as far as knowledge of Aquaman and Firestorm, but I'm pretty good at it. So, you know, reading them now, I'm, I'm reading books that I know are getting to get canceled. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, it's like I'm, I'm reading Hawkman Volume 3. It's like, yeah, Mesner Loeb's is on. This book's going to end pretty soon here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Hawkman came as kind of a, a weird late-life thing, but uh, now... Yeah, he's my, my top dog at, at DC, so of course he's had to cancel his book. That's the way it rolls. <laughs> See, that's pretty cool. That's a neat little origin story. I like the way you came at it, where you it was more of a journey rather than, you know, uh, oh, I, you put yourself out there as a pro kind of thing. Yeah. Well, especially with Hawkman, there's so many retcons that if you put yourself out there as an expert, you better know what the hell you're talking about. How many incarnations of the character is there now? Uh, well, let's see. There was the uh, Golden Age. Uh, sure. which I refer to as Egyptian Prince, which was the reincarnation of Prince Khufu. Yep. Uh, then there was the Silver Age, which I call the uh, Utopian Space Cop, which was Katar Hall and uh, Shaira Hall, who um, were from a the uh, Utopian planet Thanagar. Uh, then there was the, um, not counting all the stuff that happened right after the crisis with the retcons there, which was... Oh, uh, oh we're not counting like... Thalandar? Uh, yeah, like the fill-in oh, guy yeah. for the Justice League International number 24 yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, Felandar, the fill-in guy, who was a Thanagarian spy sent to Earth who took over the identity of Hawkman. Uh, then we got the, the Tim Truman Hawkworld, which was, I call, dystopian space cop, okay. which had the, the uniforms and the metal wings and used firearms instead of uh, ancient weapons. And uh, then we got the, uh, the modern... Uh, you know, postmodern, post-crisis Carter Hall, which was from Justice Society of America, which was, uh, again, reincarnation of Prince Khufu, but in Katar Hall's body, just to make sure it's confusing. And uh, then we got some re some really wacky stuff that Jim Starlin did in the Hawkman special during the Rand Thanagar Holy War, which suggested that uh, the version of Hawkman from JSA was still Katar Hall and not Carter Hall, but nothing ever came of that because Blackest Night happened. And uh, then we got, you know, Carter brought back along with Shire at the end of Blackest Night. Then Flashpoint happened, and then we've got uh, New 52 Hawkman, who is uh, back to being Katar Hall, but disguised as Carter Hall. You skipped the whole, like, uh, uh, Avatar one. Yeah, but that was still, the, the whole Hawk Avatar started out, I mean, yeah, that, that was Katar Hall became the Hawk God. He okay, so that's, that's, I see what you're saying. It's more... We're, we're, okay, we're counting retcons, not 
Yeah, I mean, like, that, it's not total... incarnations of the character, I guess, is a way to think yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the merged one happened right at zero hour, and basically yeah. C solution was, well, all this stuff's confusing. Let's merge it all together. That'll make more sense. It, they, uh, it did at the time. I was, I was down with it. Well, the thing about it, and I will say this, I just did uh, a series of shows with Sean Engel over on Just One of the Guys, which you can find also at the Two True Freaks site now, one of the new shows we picked up, which is a great show. And I wholly endorse it. If you're a Green Lantern fan or a Guy Gardner fan, seek out this show, guys. Seriously. Well, there was a crossover in that period called Way of the Warrior, which crossed over between the Justice League book, Guy Gardner Warrior, and Hawkman. And so we talked kind of at length about the Avatar Hawkman. And, and what I liked about that was what uh, Bill Mesner Loeb's did was really streamline the character. I mean, you're talking a character with a lot of history. Even if you're just looking at Hawkworld and the early part of Volume 3 of Hawkman, there's a lot there. And, and you know, Carter Hall was still running around, and uh, Shaira uh, Hall and Shaira uh, uh, Thal from Thanagar, she was still there. There was a lot of stuff going on. So he took all of it and just kind of streamlined it and said, okay, there's one Hawkman. And here's and he's and he's seven feet tall and he's built like a brick poop house and uh, and this and you know he he has the eyes of a hawk now and that's it and he has organic wings so uh, I like that it, I mean I haven't read all of that yet I'm still working through that but it's that was neat just from again it streamlined it made it more accessible which was the same thing that Johns did in JSA Johns took all that past stuff and kind of rectified it and made Hawkman accessible which is why the character was breakout enough in JSA to get his own. Uh, solo book. Well, he was getting his own solo book no matter what. I mean, the way that happened was when they brought Hawkman back in, was it JSA 25 or whatever, it was like the Hawkman book was rolling anyway. But I would say it definitely played a role in it being successful. Well, yeah. I mean, the yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's, you know, think of it now. We, we say now, oh, if Jeff Johns wants it to happen, it will. At the time, that still wasn't the case. You, a lot of people forget that the early JSA was co-written by, by Johns and uh, James Robinson. and uh, Or is it James Arthur or David Goyer? No, it's, it's James Robinson. You're right. James Robinson. And at the time, Jeff Johns was still that guy that wrote Star and Stripe. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for, for that book to break out, I mean, I, and, and I'm going to date myself. I remember reading in Wizard about how uh, JSA was going to break out, you know, and why you should be reading JSA. And that they made Hawkman relatable. I remember at the time thinking, it's like, Hawkman can't be relatable. You know, even I know he makes no sense, but little did I know. But uh. <laughs> You know, I, I swear, you know, I wonder if this exists somewhere, Luke. Um, I, I remember reading something. I can't, I don't know if it, I made it up or really read it or not, but it was an, an article with James Robinson when he, shortly after he launched Starman where he said he approached DC about doing a legacy book, like, you know, but it wasn't Starman. It was Hawkman. And they said, no, you can't do that right now. We have to wait a while for the stink to come off of the character. Oh, I, I've, I've read that as well. Okay, and so but, what he, he ended up doing that, Starman yeah. instead. Yeah, and that, that worked out pretty well. Oh, gosh, Starman was so good. But <laughs> and, just, well, that was the reason why uh, Grant Morrison introduced Zoriel in yep. JLA, is that, Zor, is that he was told, I want to do Hawkman, you know, and they said, no, Hawk, they called Hawkman a toxic character. That would kill the book if they brought him in, so that Zoriel became a kind of analog for Hawkman. Apparently, he's coming back in the New Fifty Two soon, too. Yeah, I'm ha- I just read that today. He's going to be in uh, Phantom Stranger by. Yep. Uh, um, oh, jeez, Dan DiDio. No, actually, DiDio hasn't written Phantom Stranger in a couple of months. It's uh, James, James Demetrius. 
J.M.D. Mateus. Thank you. I, I, really? I, my head kept saying, Keith Giffen, Keith Giffen, Keith Giffen. It's like, no, the other guy. The other <laughs> guy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, actually, and, and I know uh, uh, it's, it's very odd. I, I know, Rob, it's probably not a kind of fan of Stranger book you'd be looking for, but it, D. Mateus has made it no, into basically I, a Vertigo I, title. I, I read that book. Okay, I wasn't sure because, you know, uh, I, I know that, that uh, you're, you kind of lean towards more of the old school and the Paul Kupperberg style uh, Phantom Stranger, which I love too, you know. And I, like the last issue I just read, it's, I mean, it reads like a Vertigo book from like the late no, 90s. It's like, this yeah. is straight up. No, I, I like what, no, I like what JMD's been, been doing with it. I do. But we know we're not a Phantom Stranger podcast, unfortunately. No. no we should probably. We should probably get to the cancellation stuff. Um, yes, for for another book gets for Phantom Stranger gets canceled from us talking about it. <laughs> Actually, Rob, you're the only one left with a book on the shelves, by the way. That's right. Well, that's why they make team books, though. Yep. Yeah, we both uh, both Firestorm and Hawkman landed pretty well there with the team stuff. Yeah, I mean, and we got the two books written by Jeff John, so you know that that means we're sticking around in some capacity <laughs> for a little while at least. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, all three of us are being written by Jeff Johns right now. Yeah. Look at that. Okay. So, um, Luke, why don't you give us a rundown on the various cancellations of Hawkman, and we'll keep a running tally. (laughs) I thought we said this wasn't going to be a four-hour show. No, 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 no. We're not going to go, like, beat by beat, but, I mean, you know, we're just going to count them. Simply listing them is going to take at least two and a half hours. (laughs) I was going to say, you you might want to get a sandwich or something here. I'm going to take my shoes off to count them. Hold on. I'm going to queue up some Drop Dead Diva and watch it on the side. Oh, Oh! Oh! Call back to the green room. It's a good show, okay? It's a good show. It's all you need to know. Uh, All right. Hawkman's first book, he was one of the co-stars, along with The Flash, Johnny Thunderbolt, and several other characters in Flash Comics in the Golden Age. Uh, Flash Comics eventually did end. You know, I don't know that that counts as a cancellation, but for our purposes, we'll count that. Uh, Then Hawkman came back in the Silver Age, first appearing in uh, The Brave and the Bold, and then Mystery in Space, before graduating to his own title. Hawkman's title went on for a couple of years, was not super successful. They merged it and the Atom form the very creatively named the Adam and Hawkman <laughs> was canceled after six issues so that was the end of the Silver Age Hawk book. Uh, Hawkman would uh, he would have made some appearances in the JLA and then he had a couple of solo books in uh, Showcase during the 70s but it wasn't until the uh, Shadow War of Hawkman miniseries in the 80s that we got the next solo book. This book would last again a couple of years and then oh, he's we're, we're, canceled. Up number, we're up to number three now right? Number three yes. Okay. Go ahead, uh, fo- following that, Hawkman went uh, again on hiatus for a little bit before being revamped by Tim Truman and company in Hawk World. Hawk World would run uh, first as a three-issue prestige format book, and then for about three years after that, for it was canceled. So that's number four. Following the cancellation of Hawk World, we got the uh, the same uh, John Ostrander took over. No, excuse me. John Ostrander wrote a lot of Hawk World. John Ostrander spun that off with Jan Dursima on art to do Hawkman Volume 3. This would then transition into Bill Mesner Loeb's writing this book. This book <laughs> lasted zero hour and wrote that great story that Rob loves about the scavenger being a pedophile and child. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's... It's it's pretty it's pretty if you'll pardon the pun it's pretty rough seas right there. Mm. But uh, I, I wonder going back with Ostrander, I wonder if that was the first time Ostrander teamed up with Durasima or however you say the name because Durasima because they became like peas in a pod on the Star Wars books over Dark Horse and they did tons of books together. It's possible. 
I'd have to look that up. Uh, that book was canceled a couple of years in uh, after Zero Hour, and uh, so that's cancellation number five. Hawkman would then, as we said, be dubbed a toxic character by DC Editorial and disappear for a long, long time. Uh, after uh, the successful relaunch of the JSA, uh, Hawkman was brought back uh, to life in that book and then got his own solo title. That book ran for a number of years after Infinite Crisis, uh, Hawkman was kind of taken off the table, and Hawkgirl uh, starred in the book for about another year after that. It was then canceled. That is cancellation number six. Uh, following that, the Hawks appeared sporadically um, in the DCU. They played a big role in Blackest Night and Brightest Day. And we were all primed for a return of an awesome Hawkman and Hawkgirl team-up book. And then they killed Hawkgirl at the end of Brightest Day. <sighs> then Flashpoint did, did she die, or did she just go away? I well, she was kidnapped or something. Well, every uh, if you remember the end of Brightest Day, uh, Firestorm, the Martian Manhunter, um, Aquaman, and the Hawks were turned into the uh, the Elemental Avatars, yes. and everybody came back except Shira. So the elements kind of kept her spirit, and so uh, part of the part of the uh, the the. Egyptian Prince Hawkman under Johns is the idea that any time uh, that, you know, Carter and Shaira are destined to meet, fall in love, and then be tragically separated and die. True. So they had, so they were back together. Shaira was resurrected. She and Carter were, were back together fighting crime. They were happy, so they had to be split apart. Mm. And, and that's why he's so pissed off all the time. Uh, he's savage. Well, actually, you know, in all seriousness, at the end of uh, Brightest Day, it was only a couple of months before the new 52 was announced. And at the time, they were very coy, DC was, about whether the new 52 was a reboot. And every time I say reboot, I think of the old show Reboot, which was an awesome show. <laughs> reboot! But that's neither here nor there again. But they were very coy about it. And at the time, you know, the book is solicited as Savage Hawkman. I said, of course it's Savage Hawkman. He's got to be furious that he's brought back to life and Shire has been taken away from him. And then it was a reboot and it didn't matter. Speaking of which, New 52 comes along. Hawkman is one of the launch titles as Savage Hawkman. Book lasts uh, first through a, a couple of rows of cancellation and is canceled at after 21 issues, making it cancellation number seven for the Winged Warrior. Woof. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And, and, you know, I've often wondered about this. Like, why does DC keep bringing back a character like Hawkman, who is, you know, really, in, in the grand scheme of things, he's a B-list character. Okay? I, I mean, he's not a founder of the Justice League. He, you know, he doesn't have the kind of name or visual recognition of a lot of the other Justice Leaguers. He never was a star on, like, Super Friends, like Firestorm was, you know. And, I mean, I, I would say any Joe Blogs on the street knows who Aquaman is, you know, but they don't necessarily know Hawkman is. They probably think of Bur Harvey Birdman before they think of Hawkman. <laughs> and I was like, well, why do they keep giving this guy books if they, he can't sell? And I've, the only thing I've ever come back to is that Hawkman, whether whichever incarnation – looks freaking amazing all the time. I mean, he's got the great look of the hulking guy with the helmet and the giant wings. Looks like he should have stepped out of a Conan comic instead of the Justice League. And so it's like, well, this guy looks so good, we've, he's got to be able to sell at some point. <laughs> well, I, That's I, the only thing I can think of. i tell you, the, the two incarnations that really clicked for me, I mean, I've always kind of liked the character. Um, 
I like to make fun of him too. But uh, the two that really clicked for me was the Hawk World incarnation, Tim Truman's vision, which was then picked up by Ostrander. Um, really dug that version of Hawkman. Just really, really, really got into it. Um, uh, other than Biff, I wanted Biff to <laughs> die horribly and to go away forever and not be the point of chasing him for six years. But anyway, and then the other was Jeff Johns' Hawk version of Hawkman. Um, yeah. That both of them just were very engaging. You could really get into the character, and uh, they were solid, solid storytelling. And what's interesting about those two specific incarnations is in both of those, Carter or Katar was paired with a with an equally strong partner. Uh, in Hawk World, you know, Shayera gets just as much face time as Katar does, and Shayera grows into a character all her own under under um, Truman and Nostrander. And then in um, the Johns version, uh, it's Hawk Girl Kendra Saunders, and Kendra, I mean, Kendra was introduced before Carter was in JSA, yep. and had already you know developed a very strong following. There's a lot of people out there that I see, especially on being Carter Hall, who really are mildly interested in Hawkman, but really like Hawkgirl and Hawkwoman. And and not necessarily just female fans either. I got a lot of, you know, you, you see comments from a lot of male readers. It's like, it's like, yeah, Hawkman, you know, he's cool, but it's like, you know, seeing Shire out there bashing somebody with a mace, that's, that's where it's at, you know. Honestly, I would take uh, either Sh- the Shire Thal from Hawkworld or Kendra first as well. They're awesome characters. They're really they great. I, I, I wanted her to, I like, I wanted Shire Hall or Thal, whatever her name was, from the Hawkworld book. I wanted her in the Justice League, not Carter or Katar. I mean, and that would have worked because you could have had Katar off doing his thing in Chicago and Shayera doing her thing there. There's actually an issue, a Bill Mesner Loeb's issue of uh, of Hawkman, Volume 3, where due to events dealing with the Hawk God, the Shayera doesn't have her nth metal wings anymore. So she actually goes to Detroit. She meets up with a detective friend of hers from Detroit, and she's just busting punks' heads in the streets of Detroit for the entire issue. And it's like, I would read that book in a heartbeat. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like Shayera Thal, you know, doing a Paul Kersey routine and, you know, busting up punks in the street. <laughs> All right. Rob, you want to see if you can beat seven? Well, I can't beat seven. I mean, I already know that. (laughs) Because uh, listening to Luke talk, I realize that I really don't have as much to complain about uh, because Hawkman is going to be both of us. In fact, Hawkman might be be both of us combined. Uh Uh-oh. But, yeah, basically, like I said, I call on the shrine. I call Aquaman the current book, Volume 8. And it is 8. It is the 8th book to be called Aquaman. But I have to sort of recall that Three or four of those series were miniseries. So you really can't call them cancellations if they're built to be canceled, you know, at the beginning, you know, from the start. So it's not really fair. But anyway, I'll go, I'll do a very brief, uh, in contrast to Luke, very brief rundown. (laughs) And um, uh, anyway, of course, there was the first series, the one from the 60s, uh, unlike, uh, uh, unlike Hawkman, who. As far as I believe, Luke, is it right that Hawkman lasted in Flash comics up until the end? Yes. Okay, so he was there with the Flash until the end, yeah. He was there with the Flash the entire time. And yes. he frequently got the cover, uh, right? Didn't generally, he? yeah, usually they would alternate. Right. Because Hawkman and Flash were the two marquee books of the, or marquee strips of the book. Right. So one month it would be the Flash on the cover, the next month it would be Hawkman, generally. Right. Yeah, now Aquaman was never that lucky. Aquaman was in more fun comics, and he never got a cover, ever. 
So he basically just was just sort of fulfilling postal regulations for the first twenty years of his career. And but anyway, well, he got, if, if he was at least he wasn't the text piece, right? At least he wasn't the text piece. Yeah, but I mean, so he got his own. He had his own feature in More Fun, and he had then he had it in Adventure. Um, but he got his but, he what? I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say, but he, the interesting thing there is he, he never stopped, though, right? No, he never like, stopped. Unlike Hawkman, he never stopped. He he yeah. is he is one of only five characters. I've said this before. Uh, he is only one of five characters in all of comic books to be continuously published in one form or another for over 70 years. It's it's the big three plus Aquaman and Green Arrow. Those are the only say, yeah. the only five guys, which is why they were erased out of crisis and Roy Thomas had to do that whole thing with the Freedom Fighters and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, Aquaman got his own book in 1962 uh, after a brief run in Showcase, which obviously was a success. He got his own book in, uh, in 1962. It ran for 56 bi-monthly issues. Now, this uh, it was canceled in 1971. The final issue was one of Shag's favorites, The Creature That Devoured Detroit. <laughs> Woo! Um, the, the heartbreaking thing about this cancellation was that when this book was canceled, it was mostly canceled because of inner office politics, not because of sales. Because at the time, Dick Giordano was, of course, the editor, and it was the book was being done by Steve Skeets and Jim Aparo, and they formed the team known as SAG, which was, uh, like, you know, still to me the some of the maybe the best Aquaman ever done. And at the time, DC Comics, uh, I mean, Dick Giordano wanted to quit DC and go on to do other things. I think he was going to go work with Neil Adams and continu- Continuity Associates or whatever, but he volunteered to freelance edit his books because he was very popular with the writers. He really let them sort of just do, you know, he, his, his edict was hire the right people and get out of the way. Uh, something clearly DC does not follow nowadays. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that was his thing and he was very popular. So anyway, he offered Carmen Infantino. He said, look, who was then the president of DC comics, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to work in the office, but I'm willing to freelance edit the books. And Carmen Infantino apparently was so pissed at Giordano for leaving, he canceled all of Giordano's books, period. Oh, oh my gosh. Now, if you look at the sales figures for Aquaman at the time, which I had because it had one of those statement of ownership things in the last issue, Aquaman was selling something like over 100,000 copies a month. Now, for that, yeah. now, 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 wait, no, for that time, that was not a great figure. For 1971, that was not a great figure because you know Justice League was selling way more well, than that. When you say selling, you mean printing or selling? Because there's selling. a big difference. Selling. Interesting. Yeah, um, but but it was but it was still a decent selling book, but it was canceled, and I still consider that moment probably the worst thing that ever happened to the character, uh, probably ever, because it removed him from being part of that 70s wave where. Young whippersnappers like Mark Wade and Jeff Johns and all these, you know, little guys in short pants who would eventually become big time comic book writers, you know, like Flash had his own book, Green Lantern had his own book, obviously the big three had their own books, but Aquaman didn't. He just kept getting knocked around from title to title. So I never quite forgave Carmen Infantino for for doing that. Um, But anyway, his book was canceled in 1971. He bounced around a couple different titles. He then got his own book again. They restarted the numbering. Uh, they picked up the numbering where it left off in 1977, and then the book was canceled a year later when the DC implosion happened. So, and that was the end of the original. 
I was going to say, and, and one of the, the odd things about that, with all the, all the books that came out in the DC explosion, consider this. What, what was one of the books not revived? Hawkman. Right. All the, book, all the books that were brought back, all the new ideas that were brought up, Hawkman at that point had such a low profile, wasn't even considered for the DC explosion. Now, hmm. I mean, you know, you know, you know we, got, we got six sword and sorcery books after DC had proven they could not sell a sword and sorcery book, but out six of them, no Hawkman. We got Martian Manhunter. Oh, no. wait. Almost I, did. Almost got Martian. Almost did, but almost is better than even Hawkman got. So <laughs> I, I just want to point out, this is the Aquaman segment. We're done talking about Hawkman. Um, <laughs> We're never so, actually done talking about so, Hawkman. Uh, so, so Aquaman got canceled, and uh, that was when Paul Coverberg was writing it, sadly. This was, it was, number, this was number two, right? No, yeah. That, well, yeah, I guess that counts as two cancellations because yes. it was the same book, but it was canceled twice. And so then there was the miniseries from uh, the one by Neil Posner and Craig Hamilton, but that was a miniseries. There was a second miniseries by Keith Giffen and Kurt Swan, which I'm not going to talk about ever again. Then, uh, then he got his he got his own solo book again in 1991 that only ran for a year. It was written by Sean McLaughlin and drawn by Kent Hooper. That Ooh. so that got canceled after a year. Uh, and it ended on a very sweet note, which is the one where the, we learn that the scavenger is kind of a nice guy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank, God that, thank God that was never undone. And, um, Identity crisis, anyone? Yeah. Oh God. So, uh, well, no, it's, that, was, that was all Messner Loeb's doing. Yeah. Um, so, then, so that's number three. That's number three. So then he got another miniseries, Time and Tide, which led into uh, the first regular series again drawn by uh, – not drawn, written by Peter David. Now, this one is the big success of all of Aquaman's books. This one lasted the longest. It ran from 94 through 2001. It got up to 75 issues, which is still the longest run Aquaman's ever had. Um, it, it ended – we were going to talk about, like, which, which cancellation bothered, bothered you the most. And I have to say, I think – you know, I was alive when the first book was canceled in 1971, but I was an infant, so it doesn't really count. This one, to me, was the most painful because the last year of it, it was done by Dan Jurgens and Steve Epting. And they were brought on to basically rescue the title because David had left, handed over to Eric Larson. That run was like universally reviled by everybody. So then they handed it over to Jurgens and Epting, who did a great job. And you know, sound familiar? And uh, the book was canceled. Yeah, right. The book was canceled anyway. So that one was really heartbreaking because you know, they, I think they could have just let the kept uh, having it go on uh, if they had given the guys a, a little more than a year to turn it around. So that's number four. Uh, the book was put back again, uh, back uh, under Rick Veach uh, when he was writing it. Um, they. This is a weird where this series kind of gets canceled twice again because it's, <laughs> it's this series that got converted to Aquaman Sword of Atlantis in 2007. I think it, I, it's still one series. One series? Yeah, they, okay. Well, they kept the numbering, though, didn't they? They kept yeah. the number. Well, but we're, yeah, but yeah. We're, we can't count the other thing as two, even though we can't keep the number. No, nah, but there was no interruption of service. No, there was yeah, no interruption. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that that's like changing, um, you know, again, like, like, Again, not, again, to bring back to Hawkman. Oh, when Hawk, oh. It's Hawkman number 49. The next issue was Hawkgirl number 50. Right. But it's still the same series, though. Okay. As you say, if, it's, if we're talking incarnations, then Firestorm's going to beat all y'all because well, he's up to true. his 10th incarnation right now. So, so anyway, that was sort of Atlantis. That ran for, I think, about two years, and then that got canceled. 
So that's number, what was that, four, five? That's five. 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 And now then, you know, then he was dead for a while, and now we have the new series, the new 52 series, which, you know, hopefully we'll get past 75 issues, although I'm not holding my breath. Uh, well, you know, I was going to say, Aquaman has now entered a golden age that will never end, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought my boat to live forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, you know, I, I would love it if this book lasted past 75 just for the pure, you know, being able to say that it, it, it got, you know, it's, it's longer lasting than any other Aquaman title. And it's still selling very well. Last month, we, I, met, I said this on the last show, last month it outsold every Superman title. 75 issues is still a long way to go. That's <laughs> that's 55 issues from now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he's still it's still selling, so I, I hope that the, you know, we can keep it going. Uh but but yeah, so he's he's suffered through five different cancellations, which was, you know, that, that's tough to take. And they said like I said the the one by Jurgens and Epting, that one, to me was the most painful one because Yeah. And, it was really and good. you know, I I've, I've read most all of all of Aquaman's books, at least if not Every book from the uh, current ser- from a given series, at least a smattering of it, and and the thing that I always thought about me with Aquaman getting canceled is that it's usually a good book. Yep. You know, I mean, I I, I really liked the uh, the '90s book, uh, the stuff that Peter David did, and then the later stuff with Jurgens I thought was excellent. Uh, the the book right writing right before Infinite Crisis, I started reading that book. Um, about a year before Infinite Crisis with the Sub Diego stuff. I thought that was excellent. Yes, me too. And, and even even Sword of Atlantis. I really liked Sword of Atlantis. I loved the Boussiek's take of, uh, you know, I, he, he made the point that with Aquaman being the king, it was tough to write stories. So the analogy that Boussiek always gave was it's easier to write Conan than Cull. Because with Cull being the king, you had to find an excuse for him to go out and adventure. Whereas Conan could go out and do what he wanted. So that was the idea to bring in Arthur Joseph. That he could go and do it because he wasn't tied to the throne. But I really liked that. It was a different take on it. It was. It reminded me of books like Arion, you know, the, that mixed kind of the the uh, like prehistoric Atlantis with, you know, modern kind of DC stuff. So it, it's always odd to me when Aquaman, Aquaman cancels. It's like, why? That book is great. Why are you canceling it? Yeah, Sub Sub Diego, the 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 reformatting of Sub Diego was a crime. I mean, that was such a good book. Now I enjoyed the sort I enjoyed Busiek's uh, version of sort of Atlantis. I wasn't a big fan of Williams' version of it, but I did enjoy Busiek. So uh, you know, I did enjoy what came afterwards. But the Sub Diego stuff, I mean, it was that book was on a roll. Yeah, it just it was that for for me that that can't you know that that change for Aquaman it hurt the most for me it was just like what, what happened why did this direction have to change so dramatically yeah. just because yeah. Pfeiffer left the book I mean they could have been anyone could uh, anyway well and, and the thing about the San Diego stuff again is that it was straight up modern DC superheroics. it was exactly ironically exactly like the book is now it was very much the here and now of the DCU kind of a straight superhero book and, and at the time, I recognized that they're going to alienate certain readers by changing it to a kind of sword and sorcery book, especially when Tad Williams came on because, I mean, Williams' chops is as a fantasy writer. So him writing it as kind of a straight fantasy uh, with a lot, with some el- superhero elements. I mean, he brought back San Diego. He brought back Black Mana. Uh, had the, the shark tried to take Black Mana's head off, which I thought was hilarious. They brought back the human flying fish. You know, so there, there was bones being thrown to the superhero side, but it's like, you know, it, as much as I liked it, that one you can at least kind of see that it had changed so much from the stuff that had been really good before Infinite Crisis. 
But the one year later was an odd time in, in the DCU. We, we say that a lot because it's true. Yeah. You know? It actually, Firestorm benefited from one year later, actually. It really did. So did uh, Hawkgirl. Yeah, yeah. Um, so five cancellations for, 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 for Rob there. All right. Firestorm. Uh, Firestorm, first series, launched in 1970, uh, 1977 and lasted to 1978, uh, a whopping five issues. <laughs> uh, it was bi-monthly, so it really went ten months. I mean, yeah, that's, you got to give it credit for that. That's almost a year. Right. And was canceled in the DC implosion, and then retrospectively people have said, you know, we probably shouldn't have canceled that book if we really waited for the numbers. It looked like it was selling. So. Anyway, so he was canceled there. Uh, he then had a series of backup strips in Flash, which I wouldn't consider that a cancellation because it did lead to his ongoing series. They just sort of continued on. So he got his second on- – so that's cancellation number one. He got his ongoing series, second ongoing series in 1982, which lasted for, yeah, count it, boys, 100 issues and four annuals. Uh-huh. He's really schooling Aquaman and Hawkman there. I know. 100 yeah. issues. Nowhere near that, boys. You just oh, just bask in that for a moment. I, I would argue that seventy-five is pretty close to a hundred. No, no, it's actually twenty-five <laughs> less. Yeah, but that, but it's three. It's it's almost seventy-five percent of one hundred, though. But it's twenty-five percent less. But seventy-five percent off. It's twenty-five percent less. I do Anyways. not. I do not want to look at uh, Luke's engineering stuff when he's really got this much of an issue with numbers. I'm going to say he's, he's a licensed professional. Um, so then, uh, that's cancellation number two. Cancellation number three would be Firestorm Volume Three, which was the Jason Rush book, which was two thousand four to two thousand seven. That went thirty-five issues, uh, which I believe beats a couple of Aquaman books still. And then you get the most recent Firestorm, Volume 4, which went 21 issues, and uh, ties Hawkman there. Yeah, and, and I, I feel partly to blame for our books being canceled at the same time, Shag. Oh, yeah, it's totally your fault. Because <laughs> I continually made the joke about, oh, well, what are you going to do when, when Firestorm is canceled and I still have books of Hawkman to read? So right. I think uh, Jim Lee and Dan DiDio saw that and said, we're going to cancel the books together just to piss off this guy. You yep, <laughs> that's what happens. Exactly, exactly what happens. There's a memo from DiDio saying that, actually. So Now, I, I, Firestorm was has been very fortunate in that, for the most part, Whenever he's been canceled, they've just thrown him in the JLA. I mean, there, there are some periods of time where he wasn't around. You know, like 1979, he was nowhere to be seen. And then <laughs> in, in, in 1990, what, 1990, 1995, he was nowhere to be seen. 96 to 2002, he's nowhere to So there's small little bits where he was just kind of gone. But for the I, most part, he's either had his own book or been in the JLA. So. Or the power company. Well, oddly enough, he was in the power company the exact same time he was in the JLA. That's right. I remember that now. Uh, that that was, by the way, just listeners. If you haven't tracked, haven't checked that series out, I recommend the Power Company by Kurt Busiek, and I forget who did the art on that. Tom Grummet. Tom Grummet. That's right. Hell well, to they, the yeah. Yeah. It, um, uh, that is that was a great a great book. A really a fun book that was kind of oddly handled by DC, but Firestorm shows up towards the end, and then the Haunted Tank shows up, <laughs> just to ratchet up the awesomeness even more. It's so true. They had a competition online, who did you want to appear in Power Company, and Haunted Tank won. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So Firestorm's had four cancellations. So Rob, I would say, actually, uh, you could not combine the two and no. still come up short of Hawkman. <laughs> Again, my math, my math is as faulty as Luke's. 
All right. That's what we get for having an artist, you know, do our, do our sums. So. <laughs> well, well, well I, you guys started to say, so what cancellation hurt the most? Um, Rob, you, you said yours. I'll say mine. The cancellation that hurt me the most uh, was actually the, the first one I was really aware of, which was Fury of Firestorm, which went 100 issues. When issue 100 came out, I had just started working at a comic book store. And I was very excited, you know, like every Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it was back then, I don't remember when comics were delivered, but it was like, you know, it was like Christmas every week. You know, we'd open the new box of comics and be like, oh my gosh, look at all this cool stuff that came in. You know, I was reading almost every book DC published back then too. So within, I, I want to say my first month working in the shop, it was like, oh, Firestorm, yeah. Oh, canceled? Really? Oh, wow. Um, so it was really heartbreaking to have Firestorm get canceled. I guess for some reason I wasn't paying attention and I didn't know it was coming. So when issue 100 was there in my hands, it was like, what do you mean last issue? And I, as a collector, I had never known a time when Firestorm wasn't being published. So being it was like probably my favorite character at the time, it just, it really hurt. It really crushed me. So that that's the cancellation that hurt me the most. Luke, which, which Hawkman cancellation well, for you the most? It, again, but as I said, because I started reading Hawkman a lot later than, uh, than you guys started following uh, Firestorm and Aquaman, respectively, I'm kind of in an odd position. The only two cancellations that I really was uh, aware of uh, were the end of Volume 4, at, after it had switched over to Hawkgirl, and then Savage Hawkman. And um, at the time that, uh, that Hawkman was can that Hawkgirl was canceled, I was starting to get into the character, but I wasn't as much into it. I was still following, uh, reading him in JSA mostly. So as as uh, as ridiculous as this sounds, really the current one, the cancellation of Savage Hawkman, because at at this point in my life, you know, I'm, I've cut down a lot of the comics I read. I don't read nearly as many as I used to when I was younger. Part of it is budget, part of it is time, part of it is I think a lot of the stuff out there is just not that great. Uh, in, on, on the comments on one episode, uh, the one you guys talked about the uh, the uh, the others guest spot in uh, Aquaman, I guess Aquaman number twenty one. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I said, oh, that'd be cool to see the others as like the super secret, not Justice League team. And then I think Siskoid said, isn't that the Stormwatch? I go, oh, I guess it is. And I said, mm. I guess it's also the Suicide Squad too. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess I'm not really reading those, aren't I? Uh, but uh, I mean, I Savage Hawkman was a really wildly uneven book. I will be the first one to admit that. I liked what um, Philip Tan and, and uh, Tony Daniel were doing to launch the book. They were doing a lot with uh, kind of aliens and, uh, you know, ancient aliens and xenobiology and all this neat stuff. And it was a lot of mystery. And I, and I enjoyed it. I like Philip Tan's art as part of it as well. And, uh, and so I liked that, even though there was some really kind of oddball stuff in there. And then they did a, a pretty... At the time, I thought a pretty good story with the gentleman ghost that ended up, in retrospect, it's really not that great. And and this is just mostly to drive Rob nuts. Then, you know, or not Rob, I'm sorry, drive Shag nuts. Rob Liefeld comes on. <sighs> and the thing about Liefeld coming in is that he's not doing the art. He's doing the covers, which are all pretty, you know, I'm not a fan to say that. But he's not doing the art. He's just writing. And the <laughs> book becomes, no, it's, you know what, though? <laughs> Does crayon count? Is writing... They don't disc crayon. It works for uh, Artie and Franco. Well, that's different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, Joe Bennett comes in to do the art. And uh, not Joe. No, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm screwing this up. Uh, Joe Ed, Thiebert. Eddie, Eddie somebody. No, right? no, no. No, it's, it's, um, it's Joe, Joe Thiebert's the colors. But in any event, the, the new art team comes in, which is um, 
which was just fabulous. I love the art team on uh, once uh, uh, Liefeld starts writing. And uh, Joe, yeah, it's Joe Bennett and um, Art T. Ebert. That's it. Oh, okay. Uh, so the art, the art is fantastic. I mean, the art just looks amazing. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Bennett and Tebert were, in my opinion, the best art team working at DC, even more than Reese Prado and Reese, you know, attorneys at law. So this podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it, it perfectly fit the character, and it perfectly fit the very action-heavy stories that Liefeld was telling. Hey, now, Shag, I'm going to say let's not refer to what Luke just said, because I'm just going to edit that out anyway, so it won't make sense if we refer perfect. to it. Absolutely. All okay, right. yeah, Luke, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, okay, now, the stories that Liefeld was, were writing were, they were straightforward, but they were action-heavy, and they, they suited the character. The name of the book was Savage Hawkman, so he gave us books that had a lot of action in them. Uh, there's one issue where, uh, basically, Hawkman is on a quest to find out more about the Nth Metal, and he ends up going for basically an issue-long brawl with a guy named St. Bastian, who's a... a crazed, like, uh, uh, Knight Templar. And just these two guys wailing on each other for, like, 18 pages. And it's like, this is, in, in a way, this is hitting what I'm looking for, because this is giving me something that's straightforward, it's not worried about being mysterious, it's not worried about telling a story that's six years in the making. But it wasn't going to last. It, that, that, the writing was on the wall. Liefeld was too much of a, a loose cannon. Uh, there was always all the arguments uh, behind the scenes involving editorial. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, my, my brother is good friends with a couple of guys who work at D.C., so he gets, uh, on a creative side, so he gets all the, you know, the, the gossip and everything, the stuff that goes on editorial. It would make Stan Lee blush to hear about the kind of stuff that goes on at D.C. behind the scenes nowadays. Wow. So, but then, uh, you know, the so the, like I said, it, then Frank Thierry comes on for a couple issues, and then Tom DeFalco finishes up the book. And under uh, Thierry has been a favorite of mine since his stint on Iron Man in the uh, early 2000s, because I think Thierry, Thierry's run on Iron Man was derided and ripped into the ground at the time because he wasn't Carbusiak. But if you read it, it's actually a lot of fun, and he has kind of a light touch, which is funny because now Thierry's known for writing, like, uh, bloodthirsty bad guys, but he has kind of a light touch when he does heroes. And then DeFalco, DeFalco wrote a book that looked like and sounded like what I refer to as the early post-crisis era. Like, if you read DC books from, like, 1987... Mm-hmm. They have that that sort of very, we're very serious about what we're doing here mentality, you know. And there was uh, everybody was everything was trying to be kind of grounded in reality, and we were being, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, goofball elements, and there wasn't a lot of over the top stuff. It was just very serious. That's the way I like I said. That's what the book became, and I really enjoyed that. And as soon as Defalco gets started, the book is canceled. Hmm. You know, and, and part of that, again, is, is my history of when I was reading the character. Uh, but even reading some of these old ones, um, you know, volume one of Hawkman from the Silver Age, yeah, it probably should have ended. I mean, by the, by the end of it, it's, it, gets, it gets a little, a little weak. You know, you can tell Gardner, this was not Gardner Fox's A book at any given month. You know? <laughs> um, and volume two was, volume two was, was, was good, again, a good book, but it starts, the plot starts meandering really badly, and we start getting away from what the core concept of the title at that point was, which was the, you know, the spin out of uh, the Secret War, 
with the Thanagarian invasion. And then again, again with Volume 3, we, we start going in one direction under Ostrander, and then we take a hard left turn into the, the mystical Avatar stuff with, with Mesner Lobes. And it's like, okay, I can see why this wasn't selling. But there's no, to me, there's no reason why Savage Hawkman shouldn't have been selling. This book should have had a better, uh, uh, you know, a better rep. But again, I've said this on, on the comments on the show before. I've seen no fewer than three online campaigns to get Savage Hawkman canceled. Oh, I don't, under, I don't understand where the, where the, uh, the venom comes from. That this attitude that because Hawkman's in the lineup, a better book is not being published doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it's like, well, I mean, even when the book launched, I can understand if, if people, if the Liefeld haters did it when Liefeld was writing it. But, like, really, there's a lot of hate out there for Philip Tan and Tony Daniel? <laughs> Evidently. So, uh, mm. you know, it's, to me, it's, that's the thing with Hawkman. You know you're only going to get so much out of the book before, before they realize that he can't sell a, a solo book and they cancel it. Yeah. <laughs> And you say, well, what Justice League team is he going to wind up on? Justice League of America? Okay, we'll read Justice League of America now. You brought up an interesting question when you said that the first volume probably deserved to be canceled. Now, um, I'll pose a question to you both here, and maybe you've already answered it, Luke, but which, which run deserved to get canceled? Now, here's the trick, whether it actually did or not. Like, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go first on this one, uh, just to give you what I mean, like, it's Firestorm. There's four. There's four series there. You know which one of those four either did get you know, deserve to be canceled the most, or um, something somewhere in the middle deserved to be canceled. And uh, this is a tough one for me to say. If I look at all the incarnations of Firestorm between you know the classic Firestorm, the blank slate Firestorm with the Russian, you know the the elemental Firestorm, the Jason Firestorm, and then you know the the, the uh, New 52 Firestorm, where it's the Protocols, and then the, the Dan Jurgens era, where it's the Merged. <sighs> I mean, I love all of them, so it's hard for me to say which one deserved to be canceled. And honestly, I think I have to go with, uh, and I'm probably going to make some enemies here, um, the Protocols version, the recent New 52, issues uh, 1 through 12. If, if they had to cancel Firestorm somewhere, that's the version probably, I would say. Because sales were at such a low peak, the the fandom wasn't there. The story had gone in several different directions because of all the changes in writers. You know, with Gail Simone and Ethan Van Skyver, Gail leaves. You know, Ethan stays on with Joe. Ethan leaves. Then Joe's got the book. And, and I'm not saying it's necessarily anybody's creative fault. It's just due to editorial direction and the changing of the creative teams. The book really lost its direction, I think. And so if I had to pick something, I would say that would probably be those first 12 issues of the New 52 version of Firestorm. Rob, jump in if, if, um, if I'm sounding like a lunatic more than usual. I agree with you on that, Shag, because Firestorm was one of the books in the New 52 launch that I was very excited for. Uh, in Brightest Day, Firestorm, of the, of the main features, and I'm putting, again, features in air quotes, of Brightest Day, Firestorm was the one initially that I was the least interested in. Uh, you know, it's like compared to, you know, Aquaman and Hawkman and the Martian Manhunter, to me, Firestorm slots in below that. Now, as the book went on, I became much more interested in Firestorm and got to the point where I really, really enjoyed that feature of Brightest Day to the point where the cliffhanger at the end of Brightest Day where Ronnie and Jason are merged, but they're a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, geez, you've got to make this a book now. 
And mm. then, then it's announced Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear men. And it's Ronnie and Jason. It's like, oh, yeah, they're going to do that. It's the, the same feeling I had about naming the book Savage Hawkman following the end of Brightest Day. And so I was so excited for that because it's like, yes, we're going to see more of that dynamic, more of the Ronnie and Jason interplay, more of this, uh, you know, that whatever they're doing is going to lead to some great cataclysm and possibly make a world overrun by animal men inhabited by Kamandi. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you heard it here first, right there. Uh, but again, then, then the book doesn't come out. And while the Firestorm Protocol stuff was, to me, intriguing, being uh, you know, a child of the late Cold War and the threat of nuclear annihilation being something I remember seeing on the news as a kid, it wasn't what I was looking for in a Firestorm book. And so when, you know, at the time I was like, well, this, this is not, you know, this isn't really what I was expecting. And, it, and I kind of lost interest in it. So I, I, I agree with you, because when Jurgens comes in and the book goes kind of that neoclassical route, oh, my God, it, it was like sunshine and rainbows and lollipops all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> uh, Note to self, i got to drop that song in at this point. In the- <laughs> <laughs> I think you covered that actually a lot more eloquently than I did, Luke. That was really well done. I, and and I, I do want to make sure people know I did enjoy the protocol. Yeah. Obviously, I, cheer, I cheerleaded it. You know, I was probably the biggest cheerleader to this book, you know, for the 12 months that it was going. So I don't want anyone to sit there and go, oh, Shag hated it. Oh, my God. No, it's just it. that's probably the one. And, you know? and, and really, that's the one that, to me, it's not, it's not really what I consider Firestorm. You know, Firestorm is – because I've read the, the, um, some of the early classic Firestorm stuff that's been collected, um, including the canceled uh, comics cavalcade with my boy Typhoon is a storm of the soul. And uh, – <laughs> And that, so that, that, you know, that, that kind of uh, buoyant and dynamic and uh, you know, fast-paced kind of uh, superheroics, that's what I was looking for. And I liked the, the protocol stuff, but it was almost like they were trying to turn, uh, you know, him into like a mature reader's book or something. And I was like, mm, that, I don't, that doesn't fly for me with Firestorm. And I appreciate that point of view. I don't agree with that point of view, though, because the Elemental version was, was very similar in that regard. Huge okay. departure. Really was borderline, almost a Vertigo book. Because the themes were so mature at that point. Yeah, see, I've, n- I've never read that. I'll have to track that down. Because I know you. So good. I know you've talked about that. You've talked about a lot yep. of stuff involving uh, nuclear war on, yep. on, on Firestorm Fam. So I'll definitely have to check that down. But, but the difference between that elemental run and the protocol run was the, the elemental run never felt sort of rudderless. You know, it, it, it yeah. felt like it was moving in a direction, whereas unfortunately the protocols. And again, not anybody's fault. It's just I think it had to do with the, the changing creative teams. You know, I mean, Yildare Sinar held that book together. Oh it, my gosh, his part, his work is so good. So, uh, um, did you see he did a couple of issues of uh, Earth Two? Oh hell yeah! And he did um, the one that introduced uh, the the Fury, the uh, the new Fury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is is beautiful stuff. I would I would love to see him do a, a legit like straight up like Conan or. Um, or Warlord, if he you just, keep it in uh, DC. He just posted a Conan pinup on his Facebook page. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, we, we've talked about before matching artists to properties. And, you know, Yolari Sonar, again, looking at his stuff, I, in my mind I say, you know, sword and sorcery guy. But him doing Firestorm Protocols was beautiful, month in and month out. And it's like, man, it's like this book, it's kind of how I felt with, uh, with um, you know, Bennett and Tiber doing Hawkman. It's like, this, is, this looks amazing. Why is it not selling better? <laughs> I, have confe- I have a confession to make. I have a stack of Savage Hawkman comics I actually bought 
uh, on your recommendation. I just haven't read them yet. So, and and of that era, the the some of the life field and every and most of the stuff afterwards. I I bought them from my local comic shop as long as they promised to sell them to me for half price because they had a stack of them. And I said, and you cannot reorder any. I didn't want to support it from that one, that point of view. I appreciate that, Shag. I really do. No problem. I'll, and now, as far as a, a book that probably deserved to be canceled, I, I mentioned the tail end of, of Volume One gets pretty gets a little ridiculous, even for some DC Silver Age. The fact that they combined it with the Atom gives you an idea of the level of ridiculousness. <laughs> Which is, be, could we be any meaner to Frank tonight? <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably could be, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I like Frank. He's, he's a nice guy for, you know, a Manhunter fan. As I said, he needs to, uh, what was it, uh, Demerol, Risperidone, and Smith & Wesson. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to look some of those up. I'm not as familiar with my antidepressants as I probably should be. But, uh, I mean, as far as, as, as ones that I've, I've, you know, beyond that, I mean, that, that, was, that was what it is. The, the middle of Volume 3, where, uh, again, Hawkworld has ended... Volume 3 starts almost immediately after that. Ostrander is writing it. Jen Dersima is doing the art. The art looks really nice, granted. But the story just kind of... I mean, Hawkworld was a very tightly plotted book, generally speaking. And it was fairly, uh, you know, had very consistent. This book gets right out of the gate. We got a six-issue story arc. And you thought six-issue story arcs only started in the 2000s? Not so much. A six-issue story arc involving... Count Viper swapping bodies around. At one point, Katar ends up in Shaira's body. And the first thing he says... <laughs> the first thing he says, the uniform's a little tight across the chest. That's the, and at that point, you're like, oh my gosh, we're starting a book with this? Six issues of, of Count Viper hopping into people's bodies so that he can trick the Justice League? And... and Carter and Katar fighting in, in Shaira's body and Shaira being trapped in an old man's body and being an old fat guy wearing a wingman uniform at one point. It's like, I don't see how this book survived. And then they introduce, and then, then it gets better because then, uh, you know, um, to be, again, need to Frank, bloodlines happens. And who's introduced to the book but Mongrel? And, and at least Frank will agree with me, because we've had long discussions about how terrible a character Mongrel is. But we, so we introduce Mongrel into the book, and oh my god, it's like, really? You know, we're, we're trying to make this dog of a character, no pun intended, into someone we're supposed to sympathize with? I don't know what was tr going on with there. I don't know if it's like, you got to push this new blood guy, or if Ostrander really believed that Mongrel was the wave of the future. To the point that, you know, again, it, it hit it's such a low point that... Um, you know, Paul Kupperberg is brought in to basically clear the decks of everything in the book so that Mesner Lopes can come in and do the, the Hawk Avatar. <laughs> Paul Kupperberg right was frequently brought in to do that. He's like the yeah. Har he's like the Harvey Keitel from Pulp Fiction. He comes in and he gets rid of the body by pouring lye on it. And just, you know. <laughs> he's the fox. Um, I will say, now, here's, a, here's an interesting observation. John Ostinger was actually with the ongoing Hawkworld book the whole way. Yes. He was there with number one all the way through the 30s. Now, oh, yeah. Truman co-wrote with him for the first nine. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's so interesting that the Ostinger book of Hawkworld was such a tight, solid book, other than The Hunt for Bith, which I hated. Yeah. Um, and then the Hawkman book, which really should have just been a 
pick right up and continue from the previous book, you're right. I will agree with you. That is the volume that deserved to be canceled. That volume of Hawkman. Yeah. yeah. Because even even after that, the Messner Loeb stuff, and I and like I said earlier, I like the streamlining of the character. I like the fact that you could pick it up and and, and there was not a ton of continuity because he had just this incarnation had just started. We had seen every adventure he had had, and you could understand him because it wasn't a lot of history there. But at the same time, even that part of it is so wildly uneven. The you know the first the first major storyline he has is hunting down other avatars, and there's some really good stories in that, and then there's some really bad stories in that. And, and, and one thing I like about a book, I like a book to be consistent. You know, books that are uneven, and one month they're they're you know well, peaches and cream, and the next month it's rotten pizza. That I don't. That drives me bananas. You know, to keep the food analogy going here. Good lord. <laughs> so you know, I, I so yeah, I agree. But volume three probably shouldn't have even lasted as long as it did. To be to be fair, you know, and again, it was the nineties. A lot of books ran for probably longer than they should have. A lot of books got canceled way too early. It was a weird time in the industry, you know. And and uh, ironically enough, Bob Harris, editor at you know, one of the main editors at DC, we're kind of there right now. Hmm. No, I, I realized uh, I, I was I, listening to um, Hey Kids Comics the other day, and they were talking about how um, Axel Alonso is now one of the uh, head cheeses at Marvel. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me, it's like, really, Axel Alonso's at Marvel and Bob Harris is at DC. I am now living in Bizarro World. Did Axel start at DC? Yes, he did. Yeah, I mean, Axel did a lot of stuff with changing Vertigo from being um, what he called the fairy books into being more the crime and the crime books. He was involved in like pushing books like um, Hundred Bullets, for instance. I and had no idea. He yeah. was an assistant editor at Vertigo first, and then moved his way up. How interesting! Yeah. So I just and but you know, and, and what what's the what's the uh, allegation always leveled at '90s Marvel? Oh, the editors were writing the books. Funny how things repeat themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Real, real quick, I do have to say before we get too far away from it, the the Hawkman Avatar version looked freaking awesome. Yes, oh, great. He looked, he looked so cool. He made a great Total Justice action figure. Yes, um, I just that a couple months ago, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's really the, a great looking, great, greatly designed, coolly designed, redesigned for the character. One of the things that that um, and, and Sean and I talk about this a little bit on the uh, uh, on just one of the guys. That was very uh, interesting about the Avatar version of Hawkman is that there's a scene in Way of the Warrior where the whole Justice League is on uh, this. Uh, they're on a spaceship. It's not Hawkman's spaceship for whatever reason, and they're they're going out to go chase down Tormach because that's who Guy Gardner was fighting at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed to remember that. To be completely honest, my memory is so lousy, but. There's a scene where him and Diana, Diana was not Wonder Woman at this point. This was during the whole uh, thing with Artemis being the new Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, she, this is her in her biker shorts. In the biker shorts, exactly. It's like, how do those stay up? That's all I got to ask. But now she's, a, now Diana's an Amazon, okay? And, and it used to be that, you know, Hawkman and, and Wonder Woman were about the same height. Hawkman looked taller because of his wings. But the, the Avatar Hawkman is a head and a half taller than Wonder Woman. Oh, my gosh. That's a big dude right there. <laughs> Steve Lieber drew an amazing Hawkman in that period. I, I will completely agree with you, Shag. Steve, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get a, a, a commission from him 
at some point. But I've, I don't know if I've ever actually met him at a at a convention. So he's a good guy. I have an Aquaman pinup by him. So uh, all right, Rob, of the Aquaman incarnations, which one deserved to be canceled the most, whether it was canceled or not? Uh, I don't believe any of them deserve to be canceled, except for one that everyone else seems to love that I don't. But okay, we just accept that. Um, but the one that surprised me the least is the one by um, the one from 1993 by Sean McLaughlin and Ken Hooper. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm friends with Sean, and I actually thought he did a good job. But the problem with that book was this: it came at exactly the wrong time. It what it was very straight ahead, classic Aquaman, if almost a little square um, in terms of how straightforward it was, and it came. In the 90s, right when everything was getting dark and gritty and, and blah, 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 and all that stuff was coming in. And I think that book was nostalgic for an Aquaman at a time that people were not nostalgic for. Um, you know, kind of how, like, you know, stuff that's made in, say, the early 2000s is now just considered crap. Uh, if you wait 20 years, it's going to be nostalgic and people are yeah. going to buy it all over again on eBay. So there's that, you know, that weird like 10 to 15 year gap where the stuff that's 10 to 15 years old from this point going back is just old crap and nobody wants it. But, you know, in 2035, you know, Savage Hawkman will be super valuable because it'll be like, oh, that old nostalgia, oh, that comic was awesome. <laughs> and I think if, if, if that, if McLaughlin's Aquaman series had come 10 years later, it would have been much more well-received. But I think it, it coming on when it did in 1993, it just looked old hat. And I think people were just like, "What is? This? I want to see something dark. And, you know, Peter David gave it to them. Because a year later, they handed it to him, and they cut his hand off. And, he, you know, he's sleeping with Dolphin, and he was all angry. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's the problem with McLaughlin's book, is that it just feels like it's out of time. If I think if they had done that... Five years ago, it would have been kind of a big hit, or at least that, that similar approach, because that's kind of what John's doing in a lot of ways, is going back to the classic version, which everyone then became nostalgic for. But at, at the time, nobody was nostalgic for that Aquaman. Yeah. Didn't, uh, Rob, um, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, didn't that book even use the original Aquaman logo? No, it had a new logo. It had a new logo? It had a, okay. it had a gloss. Oh, I'm thinking there is, there is one issue where he fights... Thanatos, right? When the yes. Aquaman versus Aquaman has the old logo, that yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think you're, I think you're, I think you hit the nail absolutely on the head because I've read, I, I think that entire series, and it's it's good, but it's it wasn't what people were reading at the time, right? Right. You know, and uh, and you said that you know uh, every, every every decade's in love with the one from 20 years ago, and. I had that exact moment earlier today because the preview of the new Eternal Warrior from Valiant came up. And I'm like, damn, yeah, man. And Valiant Comics is back. Wait a minute. I'm back in grade school. If Valiant is back, what's going on here? <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. It's, that, that was a book that really was a throwback. And it, it, but it, it didn't fit. It didn't fit with right. what DC was doing at the time yeah. at all. It was a throwback when nobody wanted a throwback. And that, exactly. that's the problem with that. And, and, and when DC was doing stuff with their characters to change them and evolve them and replace them, that was a book that's – you're absolutely right. I don't even remember DC really promoting that book much. They did a little bit, but nothing, n- nothing too terribly and, much. And certainly nothing compared to the way they promoted the, the next series. Yeah, exactly. You know, the Peter David book. Right. I mean, you couldn't open – 
I'm going to age myself again. You couldn't crack a direct currents magazine from your local comic shop without hearing something about the Peter David Aquaman right. during that period. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to take a different approach on this one, guys. Um, that one, actually, for me, that, that series was the first Aquaman series I collected as it was current. So, like, there was the, you know, I, I bought the miniseries and stuff, but that was the first time I was collecting Aquaman on a monthly basis as it was coming out. It wasn't back issues for me. So that particular series has a really big place in my heart. I mean, I kept a lot of the original promotional material. I've even sent some to Rob. Uh, or scans of it, um, some of the early promo stuff where there was about a very, it was supposed to be, a, it was going to be an environmental book, which they didn't stick with that for long. But for me, I love that run, actually. Yeah. I was okay with the nostalgia. In fact, one of my favorite Aquaman lines of all time comes from that series. They're swimming. The Aquaman is, I think, I think he's got some, um, some kids with him, and they're, they're on the run for some reason, from something, and they, he decides to take him to the Aqua Cave, which he hasn't been to in years. And he's like, we'll go to the Aqua Cave. And, and some little kids start ar- arguing, and one of the kids says, hey, Aquaman, me and, I don't know, Bobby Sue are arguing, and um, I think, or he thinks the Aqua Cave is a dumb name. And Aquaman says, it's not dumb, it's, it's just from a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like that line just like made the whole book for me. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I love that series. I'll tell you, I the one, the Aquaman run, that I think deserved to be canceled, and it wasn't canceled. It was just uh, transmogrified with a new writer, was Rick Veach's thirst run of Aquaman. I think that run of all the ones um, deserved to be canceled the most. It, it was a huge departure for Aquaman. I personally, for me, it wasn't entertaining at all. Um, I, I dreaded reading it every month, actually. And that, that was the run for me personally that I would say deserved to be canceled of Aquaman. It, the art was was okay but it wasn't dead on and his book was such a big departure and it wasn't and it wasn't going it felt rudderless also even though the thirst they were building towards something with the thirst it felt rudderless i didn't enjoy it well yeah you weren't alone because after a year that was it yeah yeah i i I remember the hype for that one going in and then it just kind of meandered about and then when it kind of changed direction i remember a lot of interest picking up at the time i remember uh that this is even before the rise of the comic book blogs, this was still message boards at the time. It's like, you know, there's something to this Aquaman stuff here, you know? And I remember at the time that was, again, one of the things that started getting me interested in the wider DCU besides just the Flash, which I had, I had been reading for a while, was, you know, it's like, there's actual history here with Aquaman. I never knew that. I only knew Aquaman really mostly from the Super Friends. Yeah, you know? and, and, you know, hiring Rick Veach to do a superhero book is just asking for trouble. Yeah, <laughs> because, because well, and I say that because I, it's not because I don't think he's talented. I think he is, but he has been very open with his belief that superhero comics are stupid for the most part, and they're just a waste of time. So if he's doing a superhero book, he's clearly taking a paycheck. Yeah. And not that, not that you can't create great work just by taking a paycheck, but I just think that you're already kind of behind the eight ball if you have a guy who is coming into it with like this is all stupid, this is all ridiculous. All right, you know, because a guy like that is not going to want to put up with the nonsense that comic book editors apparently put their creative talent through. And, and, and then you add on top of that, it's it's Aquaman at that point in time. Yeah. Yep. You know, <laughs> as, still seen as as a complete joke. Yeah. And you're putting you know someone of that of that mindset on the book. And you're right; it's asking for trouble. Now I applaud that he tried. You know, t- try because you're right. He, he didn't want to write a superhero book, so he wrote something different. He he wanted to take it and not make Aquaman a joke, so he tried it and tried something different. So I applaud the effort 
It's just the product wasn't something I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it was said they quickly got off it, so. Yeah, and, and see, and part of it with me is that I'm not, I don't know, I, I, there, there used to be a, a site I used to read called Savage Critics, and that they would, they would tear apart pretty much any book they looked at. And, and I came to the realization a number of years ago that I'm not really a very savage critic. Uh, if, if, I'm in, if I'm entertained by a book, if I enjoyed it while I was reading it, I'm generally okay with it. It takes something that's pretty poor for me to be really upset by it, you know. So I think part of it with even some of the, like we mentioned on Savage Hawkman being so uneven, that as, as long as I was entertained while I was reading it, that was all I was really looking for, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm buying comics to enjoy them. This is my escape from, you know, work and stress and everything else is to sit with some funny books and, you know, watch Hawkman bash some dude's brains out with a mace. You know, good, clean family fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the irony of, of the first issue of Justice League of America, written by Jeff Johns, who never writes anything violent, having Hawkman bash a carjacker's brains out while claiming he's an alien from another world, the irony not lost on me. <laughs> that was hilarious. That and the bit in issue two with Vibe, where Vibe says, hey, you're covered in blood. It's not my blood. Scoot away. Yeah, that is a good, that is a good moment. <laughs> really dug that. That was a lot of fun. That was good. I, and I, I will say this for those that, um, for those listeners who might be reading Justice League of America and we're not reading Savage Hawkman, and I'm sure there's a lot of you. I really am. I'm not even being facetious. Uh, I got to also applaud Tom DeFalco addressed the change in personality in the last two issues of Savage Hawkman. Um, because the Hawkman that we see in Justice League of America does not behave anything like the Hawkman from that we've seen so far in the New 52. John's Hawkman now is, uh, I, he's even beyond um, the traditional space cop. He's, almost, he's beyond the space dirty Harry. We're in dangerous new ground with this guy. And DeFalco actually took the time to explain why his personality has started shifting. And so I really applauded that, because even though the book is ending, you know, you could have you could have just phoned it in. You could have just said, "Whatever, I'm, I got to write two, I write one more issue of this, and it's done anyway." But he took the time to set up what's gonna, how the character's gonna go moving forward. I really appreciated that, and I thought Jurgens did a good job of that at the end of Firestorm. I really liked the last two issues of Firestorm with the big throwdown against the Firestorm rogues, because first off, I think it's great just to introduce those characters and update them a little bit and put them out there. Say, "Here you are." Go use them in Justice League. Go use them in Justice League of America. Go use them in whatever. You know? You, you really, you need an elemental character? Go use Black Bison. And, but then I like that Jurgens also took the time to address the fact that Firestorm's going to be back involved with the Justice League and his role on there and, you know, the, the uh, confrontation between Superman and Major Force and stuff like that. So, you know, again, when, when books are canceled, sometimes they just kind of end. And you're like, wow, that's that's kind of anticlimactic. Whereas I think if you get a, a, a and it's and maybe it's just a coincidence that these are two guys that came up in the '80s and '90s in Jurgens and DeFalco. But when you get a, creators of a certain mindset, that you know their job then is I need to end the book and put the character in a place that somebody else can use them if they need them, and not just you know blow up the earth kind of thing. Yeah, Jurgens definitely um, has you know he, a number of times he's been hired as a cleaner. Um, to, to you know, to fix a book, you know, fix it or put it in a better place, and he does a great job with it. Now he, the difference there with um, DeFalco. I mean, did, did DeFalco know Hawkman was getting canceled? I, I, by the time DeFalco wrote 
um, basically two story arcs, a three-issue arc involving the new Shadow Thief, who is going to be getting a one-shot during Villain's Month, which I'm very excited for. Uh, actually, ironically, the um, well, Aquaman gets uh, you know Ocean Master and Black Mana, of course. you got to go with the two bigs there. But Firestorm gets his uh, female rogue in uh, Killer Frost, yep. and Hawkman gets his new female rogue because the new Shadow Thief is female. I what? Just, yeah, the new Shadow Thief is Carl Sands doesn't exist, apparently, in the new 52. The, the new Shadow Thief's kind of a... Uh, an anti-alien. Um, she's her suit is Earth Tech, and uh, she's former Mossad, and she's a kind of a you know kick butt and take names kind of character. She's actually pretty neat. But how strange! I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, well, see, that's what happens when you don't read Savage Rock. Well, well, it's when I let it when I let it pile up. Yeah. <laughs> well, but he wrote that one, and then he wrote a two-part story involving uh, Blockbuster for the, uh, the the WTF month and then the finale. So yeah, I think. By the because you got to figure that's five issues. So by the time the first issue, uh, by the time the third issue of the, of the Shadow uh, Thief story has um, has been released, the solicitations are out saying the book is ending. So clearly, Defalco knew the book was going to be ending. I think, and, and but the character was going to carry on the Justice League of America. That actually is the, the last scene in Savage Hawkman. Is uh, Hawkman is talking to his uh, on-off love interest Emma Ziegler from the book, and he says that you know things have changed, and right now I you know I, I can't help you. My first responsibility is to the Justice League of America. And it shows him flying off with like I think Simon Baz and uh, uh, I forget some other members of the of the team. So it's it clearly established. Okay, we've changed his personality to make him this more brutal type character. We've severed his ties with his supporting cast. We've left him in the place where now he's jail air, and you can use him as a jail air. You know. So I, I mean, like I said I really enjoyed that. I I think that if a book has to end, you know, let, let's make it additive. Uh, I, I, Shag, you and I have talked about this before that comic books don't need to be a zero sum game. That superhero comics can be additive. That we can, everybody can bring something to make something greater than it was. It's you know, one thing doesn't have to suffer for another thing to be good. And I think if the business realities say, okay, Savage Hawkman ends at number twenty, you know, Fury of Firestorm ends at number twenty, let's not just you know throw it out there. Crap, it's over. Who gives? Who gives a crap? Let's make it something that people can build on. People can make something out of. And again, that that was, and I've said this before. That's why I enjoyed bringing the rogues in. Or yeah, bringing in the new blockbuster, bringing in a new shadow thief. It's like, yeah, these are all characters we can use again. And Dwayne McDuffie did some of that when uh, he was hired to, to wrap up Firestorm Volume Three, and uh, he, they basically, you know, he brought on for three issues, and they said, you know, it's going to end, but you know, do what you want. And so he brought in Darkseid and did some big stuff with that, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I have to say, my uh, my dealings with Hawkman are very old, sort of old-timey comic book fan, because I thought the basic core concept of the Silver Age version, which is, you know, intergalactic space cops, great costume, super hot wife, spaceship. Yeah. Uh, like, why is this so tough to do? I, yeah, and and, exactly. and after, the, after the crisis ended, and then I picked up the first couple issues of Hawkworld, I know that, Chad, you just said you liked it, but I took, I, I read like two issues of Hawkworld, I'm like, what the hell is this? I put it <laughs> down, and I never got back to it. And they, to me, they have just crapped on that character in perpetuity, and I just don't understand. I can't understand why everybody who gets handed Hawkman has to reinvent the wheel. I, I don't get it. He's such well, a classic that, visual, too, like you pointed out. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's like I would just write the most classic Hawkman there ever was, but, you know. Yeah. 
And and um, I was talking with uh, I think Sean Engel about this. And part of it, when you've got a character that's had such wildly different iterations, that when you get new creators coming on, they bring their personal bias of the ones they like to it. Clearly, Jeff Johns was much more attracted to the Golden Age Hawkman right, right. than the Silver Age Hawkman. So, so we dump all the space cop stuff. We bring Thanagar in in, a, in, a, in some way to explain the nth metal. But even then, we tie Thanagar back to ancient Egypt. It all becomes about reincarnation. Uh, Scott Gardner uh, one time complained, oh, I can't read Hawkman. All it is about reincarnation, reincarnation, reincarnation. And I said, you know how many times reincarnation is mentioned in, the, in Flash comics? Once in the first issue. One time. Oh, wow. It's not about reincarnation. I said, John's made it about the reincarnation. Wow, Ninth Metal lasted longer than that. Ninth Metal lasted longer than the reincarnation. <laughs> I, I, I need to look that up because I, I remembered that it was the seven classical metals of antiquity, but there's not eight, so I don't know why. I guess that's like, you know, uh, the original opening uh, narration for the Twilight Zone mentioned the sixth dimension. And they said, Rod, there's only four dimensions. What's the fifth one? And so that's why the opening of the Twilight Zone is the fifth Smoking. <laughs> Dimension. Of... Well, it's, it's like taking it to another level. It's like saying, you know, there's seven wonders of the world. And then you say something cool like, you know, this is the tenth wonder of the world. And you're like, ooh, what's eight yeah, and nine? But, but, you know, uh, but the, the eighth wonder of the world was King Kong. And then the ninth and tenth wonder of the world. Well, I won't get into that. But, uh, <laughs> That's some, some damn Japanese monster, I'm sure. Actually, no, it's a wrestling reference. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Speaking of wrestling, yeah, uh, hold on one second before I forget this. As you make a wrestling connection to Hawkman. Uh, I will say this. Uh, Hawkman managed to beat Aquaman into live action by a good 20 years <laughs> when he was played by a wrestler in the, uh, the, the, uh, the superheroes roast show that they did yes. on NBC. God, Legend of the Superheroes. Legend, right? Legend that, of the Superheroes. That's what it was. Yep. That counts as live action. It can, it counts to me. It was it was. I, they, look, there's an actor. There's a guy out there somewhere in the world who walks around and he's like, I, I played Hawkman. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. And then they get the guy in Smallville too, of course. So I mean, there have been two different guys that have played Hawkman in live action. So now, been technically, two different guys who played uh, uh, Aquaman. Aquaman too. Yes. yes. Now was Mara the the water skiing Mara? Was that before or after <laughs> Hawkman? Now I see. Now that I don't know if we count because that was not done for television or movies. So that, wait, that's well, well, wait a minute. A skiing show is less real than TV or movies. I mean, really? Yeah, I'd argue. <laughs> I'd argue that. Plus, wow. all the different. Uh, yes, I would argue that that's a slightly different thing. But you know, I don't mean well, to end the show on a down note. <laughs> Well, I, I will say this: um, I, I I really did enjoy both uh, both Aquaman <laughs> that we got on live action TV. The fact that uh, that Aquaman or Mercy Reef or whatever it was going to be called wasn't picked up probably ended up working out okay for Justin Hartley because he got to go on to play uh, Green Arrow for a number of years on Smallville and uh, still does uh, some work with the the CW now. I think he's on um, show Emily Owens MD or something like that. Uh, Justin Hartley, of course, known in my household as Fox Crane from Passions. I'll let you guys go look that one up on Wikipedia. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not I know bother, you're not. Man. I'm, I'm just saying. Um, 
it, it was very funny for a long time because it's like, wow, it's like, uh, you know, he goes from playing one uh, spoiled rich uh, blonde haired guy to playing another spoiled rich blonde haired guy. Amazing how that works. Uh, but I really like I look for, I look forward to him in the live action Richie Rich movie. Then. That ought to yeah, be really he, good. he's a little old, but maybe, you know, I would love a Richie Rich movie. I, besides one with Macaulay Culkin, I'm a, I love Richie Rich. Rich is like in the world, you know. But, uh, but Michael Shanks as uh, as Hawkman, I thought was great, and the fact that Jeff Johns came in to write the um, uh, the, the two parter, the Justice two parter that dealt with the Justice Society, uh, he really kind of rung true. Uh, there, there's a, a great bit early in that where uh, Clark goes to uh, is looking for Kent Nelson. Because, you know, the, the, the rantings of the insane Kent Nelson are a clue to something. And in that scene, we get to see Shanks playing Hawkman where he's equal parts concerned for his friend Kent and extremely distrustful of this interloping reporter. And its, it's personality just shines through. And it, he's, he's the, you know, uh, there's a line early in Volume 4 of Hawkman where Green Arrow says, I, we were, I was always glad that a brute like you was on our side and we didn't have to fight you. Mm-hmm. You know? So it, and, and I really like that. And, and he, but you know, so in live action, it's always always fun, even if he did have to wear the full uh, uh, chest plate, which is which was very funny when it showed up on my Imagine X Hawkman toy with the chest plate. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine X figures can't have bare chests, evidently. And uh, this is a shout out to Jack Dower. I saw the other day the Imagine X Penguin figure, which looks awesome. Oh man! <laughs> oh jeez! I have a. Um, I, I, I will soon have a picture of the two most uh, reviled 80s toy bad guys uh, because uh, my boy Keith Samra is, is sending me a Superpowers Penguin. Yep. I found I had the Superpowers Penguin umbrella, but then I had the Toy Biz Penguin, and he can't hold the umbrella. <laughs> really? Can any really? Toy Biz toy do anything? Uh, the Lex Luthor can punch himself in the head. It can, other than, I thought they just rattled and then fell apart. I was going to say, that was their power my, my, action. My Toy Biz Aquaman can rattle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, uh, who's the other reviled villain? A Secret Wars Kang. Bitch, step sure. off! No, 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 I love Secret Wars Kang. I have three of them. But, but I've, got a com- I've got a complete Secret Wars Kang who stands next to my computer desk, next to my printer, and I want to get him and Superpowers Penguin. And then I think I might start a webcomic with those two, just, you know, a Fugetti-style okay. webcomic. <laughs> I was going to say, I have, you know, I have my shelves of, star, of, of uh, Justice League and Justice Society, but I have this one other cabinet that has just a few action figures on it, and they're just kind of like random ones I've never, I've, I've hung on to over the years that I just didn't want to get rid of. One is a really beat-up Superpowers Dr. Fate that I've had for a, a zillion years. The other is a Superpowers Kang. <laughs> Secret Wars Kang. Or, I mean, Secret Wars Kang, yeah. There's nothing particularly wrong with Secret Wars Kang, but you could find him on the toy stores in 1994. I found him at a KB Toys, like three of them. I see. Poor Kang, the greatest peg warmer of all time. And if you'd think the Council of Kangs would have figured out a way to avoid doing this, but the fact that there was a Council of Kangs is reason enough that he was in this problem. I I challenge you um, with... Total Justice and Desperos, those were those were peg warmers quite a bit too. But yeah, I'll get it. Yeah, but you know it's, it's Despero. So, so one final quick question as we're wrapping up here. Um, now, each of our characters have been changed dramatically at one point or another, as we've talked about throughout the evening here. Um, do you feel like any of those changes to the, the incarnations correlate to any of the cancellations? 
So uh, let's, let's start with Rob, actually. Um, well, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by core. I mean, you, you know, I. I mean, I think. I think I'll, I'll, I'll give you an exact question. Did sort of Atlantis Arthur Joseph did that cause the cancellation of that volume? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think. I think you know, much like with Hawkman, all these characters, they they get rebooted in dramatic ways, and then I think. They peak, you know, they, they're they like a comet. They streak, you know, big for a while, and then they burn out. And people just say, and which is why, you know, Superman, Batman, for the most part, don't get dramatically reinvented. Because they're basically the same guy, and they stay consistent and everything else. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think each, each new Aquaman iteration has been, let's reinvent the wheel. I hate to use that phrase twice in one show, but, I, I, and then people kind of go, Oh, this is awesome. Oh, he's got a water hand. Oh, he's this. And then they go, oh, eh, maybe not. And then they forget about it. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason John's version connected so well is because he's like, we're going to make it back the Aquaman that most people were familiar with. I mean, he's added some new touches to it. But for the most part, it is that same classic character with all the trappings. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would argue that that's, you know, the, the, they are, the, those two ideas go hand in hand. Aquaman, oh, yeah. Re- Aquaman Rebirth. I'm going to let you wrap this up at the end, uh, fr- uh, Luke, and take us out. I just tried to call you me Frank. I you Frank. All right, I'm done. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to let you, you take us home at the end here. I would say with Firestorm, um, I would say the blank slate version of Firestorm um, did not can't cause a cancellation, but I would say the elemental version probably did, even though it was damn good. I would say that probably was a root cause. Um I would say that the Protocols version actually, even though it got canceled under Jurgens, I would say the Protocols version is probably the reason that book got canceled because it started extremely strong. It sold something like, I don't know, 50,000 copies, the first issue, and then dropped off dramatically, and people never came back. So when Jurgens came on and wrote a strong book, it was too late. You know, So I would say that, yeah, in, in those two cases, yes. But there are other, other incarnations that didn't cause the destruction of the book. Like Jason Rush went through two or three incarnations in his series. And I don't know that any one of those incarnations necessarily changed it or caused the destruction of the books. Now, Luke, take us home with, with Hawkman. Well, with Hawkman, part of the interesting thing about him is that as each new book is launched, the status quo generally is set right there at the launch. You know, uh, the volume two, for instance, it's like, okay, we've done um, shadow, uh, the shadow war. We know what the setup is. No, the, the Hawks are still operating on Earth, but the Thanagarians are doing this, this quiet invasion. And that's the setup. Go. And it doesn't really change. It stays pretty fluid. The, really, the only one that really comes to mind is the, the Avatar Hawkman in Volume 3. And I would say that that absolutely got the book canceled. Because it's very clear, reading that volume in one, in one go here, instead of reading it monthly, is that um, you know, Hawkworld has ended on a, on a fairly high note. And that the plan is, okay, we're going to bring... We bring the book back as Hawkman. We're going to get a big, nice, awesome, beautiful black and gold foil cover on the first one, which actually, <laughs> I, I do like that cover, to be fair. And and we'll get we'll get Ostrander to write it, and it'll be a, a more super heroic book than the other one. And we're going to get we're going to get a big hit. And that doesn't happen. And within the first year, they you know toss it overboard. You know, uh, Bill uh, you know, Paul the Killer Copperberg comes in and slashes and burns all of it down to the ground. Oh, love you, love you, Paul. Mean it, and uh, and then Mr. Lopes comes in and is like, "Okay, we're going to revamp this whole thing," and that does not catch on at all. 
They even put him in a, you know, and, and they put him in a crossover. They they marketed it. You know, nothing. Doesn't catch on. Book limps on for another year after that. Um, they try all sorts of different things. Finally, they, they get so bad, they just kill them all off at the end of it and end the book. So, I mean, it wasn't even like, oh, it's a happy, sunset ending here. No, just throw it all out. Just get rid of it. Don't talk about it. Didn't happen. So, yeah, I would say absolutely the, the Avatar uh, Hawkman ended the book, which is, which is, again, an odd thing for me. The other character I've been reading my entire, almost my entire life is Iron Man. And you look through the 90s in Iron Man, there's a lot of changes. You get, you know, he turns evil, he turns into a teenager, then, you know, Heroes Reborn happens, and Heroes Return happens, then he gives away all his money, then, you know, he's got blonde hair at one point. And what? Then, well, there was a story under Frank Thierry where he had to go into hiding, so he cut, shaved off his goatee and dyed his hair blonde and called himself Hogan Potts for a few months. Uh, All right, and that's the end of the show. Uh, but but my, my point being that the book never get the book restarts because of editorial, but it's published continuously the entire time through that. So, uh, <laughs> right, right. So it's just relaunching. Gotcha. Re- yeah. I mean, Iron Man's been published continuously since the first uh, since Tales of Suspense forty whatever it was. I can't remember now. Whatever that issue of Tales of Suspense that he debuted in thirty nine. Thirty nine. It's been yeah. it's been published continuously since then. So must be nice. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's it's fantastic. All right, Luke. Tell <laughs> tell everybody uh, where to find you. Uh, well, if you haven't uh, gotten sick of my uh, my voice, and again, I, I mentioned this in a comment, but you know, Frank made me sound like olive oil from Popeye, and I think I sound a lot more like castor oil. Okay, I'm just saying. Uh, also, I, I would love to do a castor oil comic because the Popeye characters are going back into public domain, so look for that sometime in the near future, uh, the third Tuesday of next week. Uh, if you haven't had enough of me talking, you can always listen to my uh, other shows. Uh, I do a Japanese giant monster show on the Two True Freaks Network called Earth Destruction Directive. I'm also one of the co-hosts on the horror uh, show we do over there called The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And as uh, Shag mentioned, I have uh, a, a uh, recurring character, is how I would describe myself, on Who True Freaks. And all of those shows are available at the uh, brand spanking new two truefreaks.com. So come and check that out. We've got a lot of great shows that don't have me on them. So that, that's a plus right there. Uh, and if you want to read about some Hawkman stuff, uh, I run my Hawkman blog, which is Being Carter Hall at beingcarterhall.blogspot.com. And I have a general comic book blog, uh, including um, a great a series that actually got a lot of really good response that I did. Uh, and I'm going to lose all of my credibility as little as I have with my next sentence. I had not read Crisis on Infinite Earths until like two years ago. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And uh, it just it's hadn't. And uh, Andrew Leyland uh, of Hey Kids Comics sent me his old copy, his trade paperback, because I think he got the absolute or the hardcover or something. And so he sent me his old trade paperback. So I read it and then blogged every issue of it as I read it for the first time. And I, I've gotten a lot of feedback as saying, wow, that's like bringing me back to the first time I read Crisis. And so, and you can find that at my general one, which is El Jacone's Comic Bunker at eljaconesbunker.blogspot.com. And I haven't updated it in a while, and I, I will try to update it. But you know how you can tell a, a, a blogger is lying, his lips are moving. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you're not sick of me, there's some other uh, spots on the Internet to find more information. Awesome. Well, you can find uh, Firestorm Fan and Aquaman Shrine at firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.com. We're both on Facebook and Twitter using the same handles. You can find Firestorm Fan also on Tumblr and uh, 
Google Plus. And Rob, where can they find this show? Well, there are. <laughs> They're listening to it right now. Listen to it right now. I don't really think I need to tell you. Uh, basically, go to the same place you went to to get this one. Yeah, just just wait, and another one will show up eventually. It's like a train. <laughs> Uh, but you can also find the Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and our email address is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Awesome. Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, please give to Ace Kilroy. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you should. Support Ace Kilroy and support this show. So, uh, All right, Luke, thank you very much for coming on the show. You were a wonderful guest. Uh, uh, I, want, I want to thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. You're uh, your show is one of the ones I always look forward to, even though I'm uh, crazy mad jealous at the amount of, uh, of responses you guys are able to get to your show versus my other shows. <laughs> but uh, I, I really had a, had a blast talking about it, even though we were talking about such a downer topic. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I, you know, I, and I'll really use this opportunity. I haven't said it in a while. We do have the single greatest listening community uh, of any podcast. There's no doubt about it. The people that listen to the show, besides being incredibly intelligent, are they're also are, incredibly good looking, right? And they send too. they send penguin figures to one another. Yeah. Exactly, they're 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 amazing. They're so supportive of each other. They're so involved. They they're I mean the the last show the the thread on Firestorm fan of comments back and forth is just insane. I mean you guys are just great. You're so interconnected. You're you're involved. You're you're an integral part of this show. It's not it's not Rob and I show. It's everyone show. It's for Aquanauts and Matchheads and Nuclear Subs. And who would have thought that a show about Aquaman and Firestorm would be the one to catch on like that. I could have predicted it. I would not have either. Then, then again, a good friend of mine had a chance to invest in eBay as a startup, and he said, don't ever get to auction stuff off on the Internet. That'll never catch on. Oh. <laughs> He's dead now. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, until next time, uh, fan the flame, ride the wave, and flap uh, the wings. Fl- flap the wing. There it is. Good night, folks. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land. Friends forever. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Calm down here. Mr. Peter. It's been canceled. The flight? No, our series. Oh. Adios.